Hey, what's up, everybody? My name is Jay Helms, and I'm the founder of this podcast and movement known as the W2 Capitalist. Today's episode's a little different. So every month, uh, depending on what topic we're covering in the W2 Capitalist Mastermind Group, I bring in a virtual guest speaker, somebody who can talk to us one-on-one, uh, go through some different scenarios and different different uh, ideas that we're, we're balancing off of one another. And this month, for the month of March, I think this is this is going to be published, uh, I believe, in April. Uh, but the, for the month of March, our topic of focus for the mastermind group was negotiation. Our book for the month was Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. I highly recommend you check out that book. It's in the links in the uh, the available links in the in the show notes. But want to bring in somebody who not only has negotiated some real estate but also helped negotiate from an employee standpoint. Uh, right down the alley of what we're trying to accomplish here for the W2 Capitalist. And I found Marty Nimco. Uh, he got on to me a couple of times when I referred to him as Dr. Marty Nimco, but here's why he is one of the best resources. And I'm so glad he's available to join us. Uh, he holds a doctorate from UC Berkeley in educational psychology. So that's why I refer to him as doctor. But more importantly, he has career coached over 5,500 students. He's author of the book Careers for Dummies. Also have a link for that in the show notes. Uh, uh, he's in his 30th year of hosting work with Marty on NPR San Francisco, and he's written 12 books and over 3,800 articles on the topic of psychology, negotiating being one of his focus points. So key discussion topics that we talk about today uh, is most people want to be liked. We get get into scenarios that I throw them, you know, one of the, <laughs> one of the things that I do in these, I, I tend to take it personal. I've been accused of that a lot. So when we have these guests on, I throw personal scenarios at them uh, of what I'm going through. So you'll get to hear some of that. Marty gets into to a phrase. He introduces a phrase, cosmic justice, which I didn't really grasp the concept until after we hung up. But what he means by that is karma. Uh, so stick to the merit of the deal. Uh, other key discussion points real quick, why you should hold on to constructive criticism and how that makes you successful. Why do most people struggle with identifying their own awesomeness? Uh, best written negotiation strategies and why I am more interested in people liking me versus gaining the best deal and how it affects my negotiation skills. We go a little long here. It's a little bit an hour over an hour episode, but there's some great content in there. I know you're going to enjoy it. So let's get to it. W2 Capitalist. You are addressing the gap between your successful, fulfilling W2 job and building wealth for your family through real estate investing. You are ready to earn, invest, repeat. Welcome to the W2 Capitalist Podcast. Now, let's get to work. Here's your host, Jay Helms. Marty, real quick, where's Einstein? I know we got some dog Einstein, here. come here, sweetheart. Einstein. <laughs> Get back, doggy. Einstein. He's downstairs. Shit. Einstein, you're in demand. Come here. Einstein, want a treat? That may work. Einstein. There you go. I am the world's worst dog trainer. You may want to give some of my advice. <laughs> you don't know no shit from me about negotiate about dog training. Einstein. 
God. I've been so good to this dog and he's still treating. Oh, there we go. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so we have Annette Lyons Evans. Yes. She is also a member of the W2 Capitalist. Einstein, where are you? Come here. This thing couldn't even begin without Einstein. All right, we, I'll be good. All right. Einstein, come here. All right, I give up. I failed. I'm 0 for 1. Well, we didn't hire you for uh, your dog training ability, right? So that's, that's okay. And I'll put you on the spot. So you, you hired me, as we said in our, in our pre-interview, for my pimping ability. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Hello, Jennifer Juarez. Yes. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Jennifer is also another uh, great member of the W2 Capitalist <laughs> Mastermind Group. So. Um, even though she claims not to be, she's probably one of the most organized members of the group. <laughs> so, all right, here we go. So I'm going to mute everybody except for uh, myself and Marty while we're doing this. And then we're going to, just like as we do in the W2 Capitalist, uh, you guys raise your hand virtually to ask a question and we'll go from there. But we're going to kick this off. So for those of you, there's other people attending the webinar that are not W2 Capitalists and those of you watching on Facebook Live. Every month, the W2 Capitalist uh, Mastermind Group, we focus on a specific topic and this month's topic is on negotiation. Okay, so members of the W2 Capitalist Mastermind Group were challenged to read the book uh, I got it wrong. Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. I got it wrong uh, a couple of days ago. <laughs> uh, and, and we have daily challenges that are geared toward uh, incorporating those tactics discussed in the book. I know, Jamie, you've been very active in responding to those challenges and seeing the progress you've made and, and the things that you've tried. Some have worked, some have not worked. It's been pretty cool to see that. Um, but every month, I bring on a guest speaker related to topics uh, re related to the topics that we're discussing. And Marty, and you don't want me to call you Doc, right? You can call me whatever you want. Okay. My, my, wife, calls me, my wife calls me shithead. Maybe we should start with that. <laughs> I don't know that I've earned that right yet. You know, y'all been married, what'd you tell me, 40 years? We've been together 46 years. That's given yeah, me the right. So I think she's probably deserved the right to call you that. I have not. So I'm just going to stick with Dr. Marty, okay? okay that's fine. <laughs> Marty Nemco is fine. Anyway. Okay. So we have Marty Nemco here, and here's why I think he's the perfect reason to lead us in this conversation. So the biggest thing uh, I want to highlight is he is the author of Careers for Dummies, which, you know, is a part of that the dummy series, which I've probably got, I don't know, more titles and more copies of that than I need to admit. Uh, he has a PhD in psychology from UC Berkeley, right? Am I getting that correct? Uh, he's been a career coach to over 4,800 students. Uh, 5,500. 5, your website is out of date then. I got it. I got all this from your website. 5,500 students. Client, that's, you know, people who are have career problems. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. I think that's awesome. Um, and you're in your 30th year hosting the Work With Marty Nimco radio show on NPR San Francisco. Is that correct? That is awesome. Um, so if there's any question on why Marty is here. Hopefully in the next couple of minutes, we're going to answer that. Uh, you've also written about, I think you said 3,800 articles and 12 books on psychology. 
right? Mainly about career stuff, but certainly I've written a bunch about negotiation. Yep. And, and I've got, I looked up that one we talked about yesterday uh, that was published in Psychology Today. So I'll make mention of that in the show notes when that gets ready. It was compensation, negoti- compensation negotiation for employees. Because what we're about at the W-2 Capitalist is also making sure we're making huge strides in our W-2 careers, but also uh, making huge strides in our real estate investing. So with that being said, Mr. Pimp, Dr. Marty, I want to make a couple of comments. So give us a few minutes. And then what I'd like to do as people are still joining in, what I'd like to do is go through a couple of questions and then we'll get into the role play scenarios. Okay. You know, one of the kind of unspoken uh, principles of negotiation is one I want to raise questions about. It's almost implicit that you should try to negotiate hard to get the best deal you can. And having been party to hundreds of negotiations, both as a principal, but also helping my clients. And I look back at the results of all those negotiations. I've come to a conclusion in my recent years that it's wise to not negotiate too hard because too many bad things could occur. Number one, and this may sound a little holier than now, but you get too good a deal and you've screwed somebody and you don't feel really good about it. Or you're too tough and they back off and don't do the deal at all. And you realize, oh, damn, I really should have done the deal. And three, it's very oppositional and stressful. So even this book you're reading, you know, never split the difference. But, you know, I think that's generally true. When you, but there's an occasional time when you feel like that's going to close the deal. And it's really cosmically just, which, again, sounds high and mighty. But it's ultimately a good way, usually, to negotiate. If it feels cosmically right, say, you know what, I'm, this is not like a negotiating ploy, but if you will split the difference, we've got a deal. It's not a negotiating position. That's a deal. So there's, you know, the, the undergirding principle of everything I'm going to say is justice, cosmic justice, and that one, situ- one size does not fit all. Sometimes you need to be tough because the other guy is going to treat your kindness as a sign of weakness and roll over you. But there are other times when, depending upon who you're negotiating with, you're being seen as a statesman or a stateswoman, will say exactly the right tone, and it can be brief, pleasant, not stressful, and importantly, it paves the way for future negotiations that will work beautifully or future desire to do deals with you, whether you're a W-2 employee, they're less likely to want to fire you. You could have a, a fight with your boss about, I want an extra 10 grand, and you can nail them to the cross and you get the extra 10 grand. But first of all, you're only keeping half of it after taxes. Right. <laughs> and second of all, now he or she is pissed. So you know what? You squeezed my short hairs to get the to get that extra 10 grand. But boy, now I'm going to have really high expectations for this person. And if he's not good, he or she's going to go on the top of that layoff list. So I'm, a, in general, a fan of moderation negotiation. Yeah. Oh, I completely agree. I, what I love about the book is it does a, a, attack negotiation from a completely different side of that, right? And it's written from a former FBI uh, top you know, negotiator. So we're not really talking in our situations, it's not life or death, but they, the author of the book, Chris Voss wants you to focus on it. So I'm kind of relieved to hear you say that a little bit because I agree with you. I don't think that uh, everything is not life and death, right? And, and sometimes, I mean, can you get a square peg into a round hole? Yes. But does that mean that things are going to break? More than likely, right? And it's, you highlighted a bunch of different things there that um, I think is perfect. So um, it leads me to my first question, right? You bring up, hey, I want to ask for a $10,000 raise um, kind of thing. So 
when negotiate, and, and you're talking about people being kind to run all over you. So here's what I've discovered about myself. Okay. And, and, and you can, you, you get a chance to throw me under the bus in front of my, my peers here. But when negotiation, when negotiating, I've discovered I want people to like me more so than I want the best deal out of the negotiation. Uh, for example, if, if we're negotiating on a deal and I pick up that you like me, I tend to drop my guard and I'm, I'm kind of come to terms a lot quicker. But if somebody is a complete and utter asshole and I just don't like them, I'm going to dig my heels even more, dig them in even more. And most often and always, I'm going to have a concrete stance on somebody that I don't like. But if I'm figuring out, hey, that you like me, you know, I tend to drop my guard and I tend to tend to loosen up a little bit. Why is that? What is and And do you see that as a good thing or a bad thing? Most people want to be liked. And it depends on, again, everything you're going to hear me say is ad nauseum. It depends on the situation. Okay. I like somebody, but I'm, I'm still not, I'm, I don't love them or whatever. Maybe they're, they're being very nice because they want to be as part of a negotiation ploy. They're being Mr. Nice or Ms. Nice or even Ms. Flirtatious to try to get me to give them a good deal. I'm not necessarily going to fall for that. I'm going to, if I genuinely like him, I might be a little soft. I'm a human being. But I'm going to try to, where possible, stick to the merits. And the merits could be, let's say, let's take a real estate. There's this horrible company I really don't like that posts, uh, it's, a, it's a consortium of people, uh, home investors, as it's called. Um, I probably would get in, sorry, in trouble for being so, but I just, it's an opinion. <laughs> I don't like them because they basically put, as far as I know, my, in my opinion, they put up signs in low-income areas to get people to uh, sell their houses to members of this home investors group uh, at way, way below fair market value. So these are poor, vulnerable people who may not know what the value of the property is. They're not going to get comps. They're not going to whatever. Uh, and they'll be very subject to all kinds of BS. And, you know, there I'm going to want, I'm, I'm, if I'm negotiating with somebody who's ignorant, I want to get a good deal, but I don't want to rape my client. I don't want to, to, to get such a good deal, especially if it's a low income person. To, right. you know, to, to send them into the poorhouse. So more important than whether I like them or not is this cosmic justice concept. I want to get a good deal, but I don't want to be abusive, period. Gotcha. Okay. It, so, so you see that as a good thing then, right? You see that as more of a, 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 a good human nature trait. Because my follow-up question is, how do I get out of that? <laughs> within limits. Within limits. I mean, look, I'm going to be just because I'm blatantly honest. Yep. I um, discovered that yesterday and I, that's what I enjoy. So, <laughs> that is, is beautiful. She is yeah. just simply a beautiful woman. And so it is very tempting for me to give her an extra good deal because she's beautiful. Yep. But that would be a mistake. I don't want, I'm not going to try to, you know, be hard. I want to try to stay on the merits. I'm going to try to be kind. I'm going to try to be a human being. I'm going to treat her with respect, but I'm going to want to get what is a cosmically just deal within the range of normality, of normality, not ripping her off. I want to get a good deal, Yeah. but I'm going to try to get, you know, seduced by her beauty, by her beauty. So, so we're going to pick on Annette for a minute. So in that scenario, if I'm negotiating with Annette and I'm having trouble with with getting over that hurdle, what should I do? To stick to the merits, as you say. You remind yourself of the word, I, mean, I used to keep using the word cosmic justice. What would, be, what would God say is an appropriate deal? It doesn't have to be split 50-50. You know, you're entitled to a little bit of extra because you've done your homework, you've identified what fair market value is, you can make a reasonable case for why you deserve a little better deal, sure. But it's always keeping that in mind. Your, your ultimate arbiter is cosmic justice. What's right for the world? Okay. That will help you. 
and a more mundane way, look at the numbers. You want to be what they, what I like to say, soft on the people, harder on the numbers. So I may play, I might, I might even flirt, you know, to to try to get a fun, relaxed look. You and I'm, I'm a straight guy, so I'm not, I wasn't flirting with you. But yes, so we had a great time. Whether or not it improved our interview together or not, I did try to have a good time and try to treat you with respect and had a great time. I'm going to do that with whoever I'm going to negotiate with. Now, some people are not going to, they're going to be, they're going to have their green eye shade on and they're going to have their list and their spreadsheet and they're all the rest of it. And they clearly don't want to deal with me. So fuck them. I'll just be <laughs> straight and, you know, by the numbers. Yeah. But I will, my goal is try to be cosmically just as much as I can. Okay. I'm going to have to dive into that more. Uh, not right now, but I'm going to, I'm going to have to do some research on that. I think that's an incredible, incredible way to look at it. Um, I don't know that I've heard the the phrase cosmic justice in a while, but it, it makes total sense. It definitely does. Um, so one of the things that we, we talked about, so we're going to go to question number two and I'm going to keep, regardless of how many we get to, I'm going to keep it to, we're going to stop at 525 central time. And then we're going to get into the role play because I know that's probably going to be what most everybody's interested in seeing and hearing. So um, in our mastermind group this week, we discussed uh, seasons that investors tend to go through. Uh, And it seems when I had, when I personally have a ton of cash in my personal accounts, I have less problems asking others to invest and vice versa, right? If I don't have a whole lot of money in my personal accounts, then I struggle with asking people to come and be part of a deal. Uh, so we're talking about raising money for you know multifamily or syndication of the, those types of scenarios. All in all, I struggle with asking people to to invest. Um, I have a friend of mine, or he's actually a business partner on a deal where I know if I need to raise money, he's the guy I'm going to call because he has no problem with articulating that. Uh, again, this is about me. Yep. So what is that? Why, why is, why do I struggle with that? Cause I don't think it's a confidence issue or maybe it is. I, I don't have a brilliant answer. Cause I, while I may have a PhD in educational psychology, I tend to think of things in very practical terms, not psychological terms. I don't know why in the world, you know, you're, uh, you know, if you've got less money in your account, you're less likely to ask people, but I can only say if you can stay focused on the numbers, if in terms of cosmic justice, there is a multifamily housing deal and it pencils out really well. The cash flow is good. The, the, the price is good. You've done the due diligence on the inspections. And you can look God in the eye. If, and I'm an atheist. So I'm not it's like I believe in God. I don't. But if I can feel like it is just to, I look at that, that pro forma or whatever they call it, yep. and, I, and I can say, you know what? This is a legitimate deal and I am offering my investors a reasonable rate of return given the risk reward ratio, I don't give a fuck whether I have two cents in my, in my account or I have 20 million. It's just for them to invest in this. Does that make yeah, sense? It does. Absolutely does. Yep. I just, I, I've got to, I think if I, and I'm asking that because I, I was hoping you had the, the psychological answer and give me some exercises I can get work on. Cause I think there is something that I've got to learn about myself to get past that. And you it could be right. It's one of my weaknesses as a counselor. Yeah, I, I haven't seen that the psychological approaches or meditation or mindfulness or looking at what your mother did to you or your father did to you or, you know, you, the scarcity mindset in your home, all that insight in the world can give you insight, but it doesn't make you function any better in the real world. Yeah. So I tend to, in the end, focus on, you know, what logically makes sense and remind yourself to push the bullshit out of your mind, the stuff that is irrelevant, that is not rational and say, I'm not going to indulge that. I am going to stay on the merits, on the ethical merits and on the financial merits. 
and the hell with my what my mother did to me. <laughs> well, and, and for the record, I have great parents. They're still together. Uh, I love them to death. I don't see them enough. I know. So uh, they are. Uh, they, I have really, really good parents. Um, <laughs> I don't think there's anything there that we could we could uncover if we got on that. If I got on your couch and talked about things that I thought would happen. So <laughs> I, I might be surprised, but anyway, um, one of the things also too, and this kind of goes along with, you know, the W2 side of the, the world is that, you know, we're in this uh, review season for, for a lot of folks. Uh, and a lot of people struggle, my, myself uh, struggle identifying their own awesomeness, right? And, and what I mean by that is, you know, the other night, so I, I'm not a very uh, experienced public speaker. Uh, matter of fact, uh, this month I had four speaking engagements and that was uh, probably the extent of my resume, right, is public speaking. And one of the things, you know, one of the guys after the uh, one of the events came up and told me that I did a great job and I blew him off. No, I didn't, you know, and I and, and I didn't take credit for anything. And um, but in the in the same thought, I'm sitting here criticizing everything in my mind of what I should have said different or what I should have done different. What is, you know, why do we tend to hold on to um, constructive criticism more than we do compliments? We should. We should. We do not grow from complaint. If somebody says I'm good at something, I don't grow at all from it. If somebody makes a criticism, it could be wrong, but unless I weigh it carefully, I am not going to grow. You know, I am a violent, that's the right word. I am a strong opponent of the whole self-esteem. Most of this, I've had the privilege of being a career coach and personal coach to some of the most successful people on the planet. And you know what? Most of them don't have high self-esteem. They're <laughs> always worrying that they're not good enough. You know, I'm great. I can do it all. I'm amazing. There's a genius in all of us. <laughs> yeah. Most people are deeply flawed and get better by introspection saying, damn it, I really could be better. What am I going to next time to be better? What am I going to next time to be better? That's especially true of the graduate. They graduate in a major in business from law school or the psychology degree or even medical school, which is the medical school. And they don't know squat in the beginning. They're right to feel like imposters because they are imposters. They say, you know what? They say, you know, you're okay just for who you are. Accept yourself. Bullshit. Then you're, you're consigned to mediocrity. Most successful people are worried that they are not good enough and try to get better every minute of the day. Now, I'm not saying that's an easier way to live life, but ultimately it's a way to be more successful and then ultimately feel better about yourself. I got you. I, in, a, in a way, I think, I think you just gave me a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> no, you did. I, I, you definitely answered my question and I appreciate that. Hey, James, what's going on, buddy? James is another member of our W2 Capitalist Mastermind, so um, glad to have you. Uh, James. One of the other things, is, one of the other questions I want to make sure I want to get to, and then at 525, we're going to get into some of the role play, is uh, you know a lot of the book that we go through and a lot of the stuff we've talked about is verbal communication, right, and verbal negotiation. But what are some of the best negotiation strategies, if there are any, that we can do as a written form? Because a lot of what we what we um, go through as real estate investors is here's here's a contract. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's written, a lot of emails that are swapped with realtors, potential buyers, potential sellers. Um, you know, some of the negotiation strategies we talked about were mirror mirroring and labeling. Um, 
and those sorts of things. So is there some, some good strategies for written negotiation or is it just best to get on the phone and have a verbal conversation? I am a big fan of verbal in-person video because it's, you know, when there is no uh, interpersonal, then it is just purely cold by the numbers and you also can't read the other person. So yeah. I'm, but I'm going to, instead of evading your question, like most politicians do, I would say if I'm forced to, to submit something in writing, I will probably include a cover letter first before I get to the term, the term sheet. Right. I'll say something, you know, it was a real pleasure going through your property. I really like, don't, don't ever say, I hate the, I hate the stupid property. It's real. I'm going to there, you know, you think you're going to get them the low ball. No, I really love your property. It's a, I see, even if it's a shithole, I would say you've got enormous potential here, and it's a privilege to be able to, to try to bring to, to fruition what is a great property. You've also been a pleasure to talk with. I appreciate your candor about this and that, and so I like to think that the term sheet that I'm uh, sending is fair to both of us. So by saying that, you are absolutely setting the stage for a, a kind negotiator. You're not just playing hardball asshole, which right. I think in general works better. Okay. Which you, you think sending a kind letter works better than being a hardball asshole is what you said, right? Start Just, with that. Yeah. You know, if you're finding somebody who ends up, he's from the Marine Drill Sergeant School of Negotiation, and he's going to just try to pump you, you don't want him to see you're a wuss, as I said earlier, otherwise he's going to try to roll over you. Yeah. If, and I will call it, if, he, if I feel he's lowballing me or hiding key information or otherwise bullshitting me, in a nice way, I'll say, you know, I'm wondering, how did you get that number? Because in my research, it seems to me that the fair market price should be X. And yet you're, you as a seller are saying it should be, you know, 1.3 X. How'd you get that number? I won't take it, bad behavior, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to be nice, but right. I'm going to call them on. Let's go to Annette. Annette, you got your hand raised. You got a question or a follow-up? Hi. Hi. <laughs> yes. So I just want to share that with the first property that we bought, we did do a cover letter and I think that set us apart from everybody. So we, we you know, did an introduction that this was our first deal and that we were very excited and it was a property that was in their family for a long time. And we said like we would keep it too in our family. And I think that was a kind of like a set us apart because they had multiple offers on that property. And, uh, Obviously, we had to do a best and final offer, but we were selected. I think there were three people that had to do their best and final. The so way, I think that's a good... I would never use the term property when it's their home. Yes. That reminds them it's your business. I well, it was, a, it was a duplex, so okay. it was... <laughs> did they live in, the, in one part of the duplex? Um, I think they did when they were kids, but then they had moved and, and rented the, the duplex. I'd still call it your home. Uh, yes. Actually, we said we were going to live there. But saying this word one. home, hey, oh, I need to say hello to your daughter. What's your daughter's name? <laughs> Sienna. 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 Okay. That's awesome. Thank you, Annette. So um, I have a similar, I, I did write a letter, uh, but it was a low ball offer because it's what I thought the property was really worth. And uh, we did not get the property. So. <laughs> um, now, you have to know how to walk away. You definitely yeah. do. I mean, yeah. if low ball implies a way too low offer, it was a low but fair offer, and they still don't want it, and you're miles apart, you've got to have what's called walk away power. Yeah. There's always yeah, another did. thing. It, it worked out great. I mean, um, it was going to be our primary residence, and we walked away from it 
um, that property sat on the market another six months mm. after our uh, initial offer that they rejected. Uh, they finally sold it, but for us, it worked out great. I mean, we, we couldn't be happier. Um, we're glad it didn't work out, right? Um, all right, so let's get into some role play scenario. Um, and you wanted to talk about a few different scenarios. Um, and then if we run into extra time, we'll get back to some questions. But you want to talk about a uh, pain in the ass buyer, pain in the ass seller, a not made a, not motivated seller and a low ball offer, right? Rather than my pick, I would welcome any of you who are either in a negotiation now or have been. I would like to see how I might handle it. Instead of, you know, I'm not a big fan of, you know, prepackaged anything. Any speaker can come up with some nice little story that makes everything seem so nice. and Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I'd rather, you know, focus on authenticity. Do any one of you have a, uh, a, a negotiation situation you're either currently in or have been in and are curious how I'd handle it? Yep. Uh, Annette, you have your hand raised first. Let's go to you. Okay, I'm, I'm mute. Okay, so we are under contract six unit uh, multifamily, and so they, they it was listed for five ninety, and then we offer five uh, five sixty, I think initially. They took the offer. We did the inspections. We found a lot of problems, um, and so we did a low offer of five sixteen. Mm-hmm. And initially they said, no, we don't even want to counter this too low and we're not going to even go forward. Mm-hmm. So, and it was, in our opinion, it was a good deal because it had the possibility to increase the income later if we improved it. So, uh, and it was really the best price that we found in Florida. It's really hard. So it's, there's not a lot of deals. So we decided to, um, to go higher, to offer more money, but then ask for a credit at the closing. And we asked them to replace the roof because the roofs were bad. And that was like about, um, there was like, the, the roofs only were like $15,000 and, and that. So then at the end, he countered them. We went back to the arena price, but asked them to change the roofs and then do some other repairs. Uh, at the end, he decided, okay, no, I'm just going to lower the price, 20000 and then do the roofs. And that was kind of, that was a good thing uh, because it gave us the money to do the roofs. That was the, the issue. Um, okay, so then after that, we had to extend the contract because throughout the inspection period and all this stuff, uh, you know, we took too long, we changed lenders, so we had to um, extend the contract. And now the seller was upset because he had, in his mind, wasted time. So he asked us to, to pay the rent for one apartment that was empty, uh, that according to him, I, he didn't rent it again because we told him that we wanted to remodel the apartment. Um, Yes, but he didn't have to keep it empty. So anyway, so what we did is like you were saying, I wasn't going to lose the deal for one month of rent on an apartment. So we decided to go forward and say, yes, okay, we're going to pay for that. Um, but I'm wondering if I should have handled it in a different way. Um, I mean, I knew that the tenants were leaving that month. So I think he was a kind of lying that he left it in because I wanted to remodel. The tenants were living then and he just, it wasn't a condition that you couldn't rent it. I mean, the carpet was disgusting. The kitchen was falling apart. He couldn't rent it that way. He would have had to remodel. And so the amount of money was like a thousand bucks, something like that? It was like $825. So sometimes you want to, and maybe I'm just being a wuss here. Sometimes you want, when somebody, you sense somebody's lying, and I think you're probably right. He probably was lying. Sometimes you want to stick it to him. But that could get him defensive and the whole deal could blow up over a little crap like this. If, you're, if you penciled it out and you're going to be doing just fine, thank you, 
you might try one one more because you know he's lying. You don't want to call him on the lie because that's going to make him offensive. But say, you know, I don't want. And this is ironically this example of splitting the difference. We're talking about eight hundred and twenty-five dollars here. What do you say that you would, you know, maybe there's an extra for washers and dryers or something that isn't going to cost him much to to leave or to help you with something, you know, uh, in exchange. And if he says no, I'd probably just let it go. But I would try to, I would try one shot at getting him to give you something that you wanted. Maybe, you know, one of the, the big garages has a lot of crap that has to be hauled away, or maybe uh, 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 some front landscaping or something that, and especially, again, I'm going to think cosmic justice, depending upon his skills. Maybe he himself was a plumber or handy guy. Maybe there was uh, some of this some work that needed to be done. I don't know. Say, all right, if you'll do this work, uh, I'll, we'll pay the rent. So it's not costing him that much, but you're getting, let's say you're not a plumber. And you can get that benefit from him. Or you're, you're trying to figure out a way that you can let him save face. You get a good deal. But you're, again, you're keeping your eyes on the prize of this is still a hell of a deal. I'm going to get $800,000 for this property five years from now. If I go and make these, you would kill yourself, especially since you say the kind of properties you're looking for are rare in that area. Mm-hmm. You'd kill yourself if you gave it away if you lost for rate 25 doesn't mean I wouldn't try one more time. As I said, see if I could make a proposal to him that would make him easily say yes. And what do you think about that? Right. Yeah. So what we did is we asked him, well, since we're going to be paying for the rent, then we want the keys. So we are able to clean up the apartment, which we can do it ourselves and doesn't cost any money. So we have it ready for when we close and, you know, remodel it right away. And he agreed to that. And they did extend the contract, which was like an extra month, which is a a long time. So I think it was a win-win. That was exactly an example of where it wouldn't cost him much and yet it benefited you. That was exactly one of those things. You didn't jeopardize the deal at all. You got a little something. You didn't confront him about his lie or anything. And and everybody's happy. Hey, everybody. I want to take a break from the action real quick and point you over to Passive Real Estate Investor Academy. It's one of our affiliate sponsors for the show. Um, Annie Dickerson, who leads up the academy there. I've met her. I met her at a conference last year. I uh, wanted to meet her because she is actually on uh, one of our posts, uh, 12 sites every financial freedom seeker should know about. Uh, the things that they're doing at Good Ag Investments, uh, I'm just amazed by. Uh, she had a very successful W-2 career, but also, uh, I think it was last year, uh, 2018, she was able to pull her parachute cord and become a corporate dropout and focus on real estate investing full time. So, and by that, I mean, her and her partner are now syndicating deals through their uh, corporation, Good Egg, Good Egg Investments. And what I'm most impressed by these these ladies, what they're doing is they closed, I think it was around 3,500 doors last year. Um, and now they're teaching, they've launched this course, Passive Real Estate Investor Academy, uh, to teach people what it really means to become a passive real estate investor and working with syndicators, whether you work with them or not, it helps you understand what a passive real estate investor is all about. So check them out. We have a specific link for you. You can find it at helmsrei.com slash P-R-E-I-A. All right, let's get back to it. Yeah, right. what I find, yes, what I find a little bit hard is like, you know, I'm still, I'm using a realtor for this deal and for actually for all the deals that I've done before, I'm using a realtor. So sometimes it's hard to relate you know, like what you would say to the owners through the realtor. So it could change. Like she could use a different tone. She could offend them. I mean, it's yes. out of your control. And it, like, it's really hard for me because I, I am really good at negotiating. And, and the realtor is really good too. But, you know, you have no control. So it's hard. 
Uh, but no. what I do is also like I will write up what I'm thinking and send it to the realtor and tell her forward this to the owner. So like they get my thinking, you know? I don't know what the law is, but if I felt in a given situation like that, I would do a better job than the realtor. Why can't you, can you, are you allowed to ask the realtor, say, would you mind if I, you know, I'm not going to blow up the deal. Don't worry. Would you mind if I chat with my, chat with the person and take them out for coffee? You know, food is the great lubricant. Right. I actually, <laughs> I did reach out to the owner. I sent him an email because they forwarded an email and he had his email. So I kind of like tried to reach to him saying, look, uh, I want to know when is the trash day because we want to clean up the apartment. And he replied and he uh, copied the realtor. So that let me know that he didn't want to deal. He wanted me to deal through the realtor, I think. So I'm going to try a second time with some questions if he like, because I would like to meet him. You know, I think it could, you know, it could be advantageous if I meet him. And also fun. What I would do if I remember, I'd say, you know, we're doing all this big negotiation. We're two human beings. I like to deal with human beings. We have to, you know, I have to deal with a realtor, sure. But I'm wondering about this little stupid thing. Can I take you out for coffee? What's your favorite place to go out for coffee? You know, and that kind of tone, it just makes everything work easier and, and life is more fun. I agree. Yeah, that's a good idea. Okay. Thank you. My wife is, um, she always, when she's got a hard negotiation, my wife's the superintendent of schools in Napa County, and she's very often in hard negotiations with the unions, with an angry parent who's threatening to sue, with one principal who's ready, <laughs> ready to kill the other principal. You know what her secret weapon is? Brownies. Brownies. She makes brownies in the morning, and she sets up the meeting. She comes in with this beautiful smelling chocolate brownies. She puts them in the middle of the table. It's like, we'll talk in a few minutes. Let's have coffee and a, and a brownie. It's hard to be as hard when, you're, when you've had a brownie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to learn some dessert recipes then. <laughs> so, you know, you're, you're Latina, so some flan maybe or uh, whatever. Yeah. Nice. Oh, I love land. <laughs> <laughs> Terry, Terry, can I ask you a question real quick? So uh, Marty brought up the legality of a buyer talking to a seller uh, without the realtor involved. And Marty, so just so you know, uh, Terry is our resident uh, broker um, based in Colorado. So ter Terry, is, and I'm assuming these laws are probably local, right? Uh, state laws. Is there a law that, that says as a seller, you can't talk to the buyer or vice versa without realtor present? Or is that just a um, controlling agent that's trying to work the situation? Yeah, there's no law that I'm aware of that <clears throat> prohibits it. Um, not always the best idea, just I mean, like you've described the situation. Um, uh, it appears that he did not want to be contacted other than through his realtor, responded, copied the realtor that way. Um, yeah, and of course, realtors get really touchy about any sort of circumventing, especially if you're doing some sort of negotiation. Now, bringing parties together to have a Q&A on, you know, if it's a big building and you've got a lot of questions about, you know, uh, vendors and different things, not a problem at all. The other thing I'd like to say, um, Marty, is um, that... Um, Something we all have to be careful of um, now as realtors um, is allowing the love letters to occur. Um, frequently, they won't, you know, Colorado has written a uh, position piece on it. And it's essentially don't do it. Um, what they were finding was that love letters contained information in it that were violations of the Fair Housing Act. And so you're mentioning things like familial status or maybe sexual orientation, 
or race or something, and that that sellers could maybe glean information and say, oh, I think this family might fit better here than that couple might fit, et cetera. They've even talked about going so far as to delete um, like last names and things from contracts so people don't say, oh, well, they're the Sanchez's. We don't want the Sanchez's on this block or, you know, something like that. Um, so they've gotten very, very touchy about that. Now, can you write a general letter? I love your home. You know, um, it's close to my work. You don't say I'm a police officer or I'm a, you know, you don't talk about that. You, know, you just kind of keep it a little more general. You can still do that, but, but it was starting to cause problems and, and actual court cases. So, wow. Interesting. Yeah. Uh-huh. Interesting stuff. Okay. And it's not that they want the Sanchez's. They don't want the Helms to move next door. I'm <laughs> yeah. glad that that's getting changed. That's, don't know yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Jamie, I think you had a, you wanted to ask uh, Marty. I thought it's called you doc. I'm sorry. Whatever. <laughs> uh, go yeah, for am it. I good? Can you hear me, Marty? Yeah. Beautiful. All right, well, first of all, thank you for coming on and spending some time with us. I really appreciate it um, and looking to grow from this. So I wanted to ask you about my W-2 position. I'm in the medical device sales world um, and give you a little bit of background. We, we make a product that's backed by clinical research that uses a higher quality uh, material for the most part. It costs more. Um, however, it reimburses the same amount as competitors that can deeper and that are just plain up ineffective. So what I run across sometimes is trying to convince a doctor or an office that a better product backed by, you know, backed by science is better actually for their patients and their practice than just looking at the upfront cost of the material and goods. And I was just curious kind of how, you, you know, if you had any suggestion on how to overcome that, if I've given all the information that I feel is relevant to make that decision and they still decide not to make that decision, you know, kind of where to go from there. Yeah. Um, doctors are real busy. Uh, and they, in way, many ways, they hate sales reps. Um, and so you, you, what raised a red flag for me is that you gave them all the information. That's a mistake. Seems to me you want to say, you want to give it what, what they give a shit about is going to be, if they're a surgeon, ease of use, let's say it's a stent, you know, it's, you're going to be able to, you're going to be able to insert this, you know, instead of the average three or four minutes in one to two minutes. And here is the data and here, if you want, here is the data that supports it. Uh, readmit hospital readmissions uh, as a result of this is uh, is only three percent versus co- the competitive five percent. You just in three or four sentences, you know the reimbursement cost. You're going to get reimbursed the same amount either way. the The list price is higher, but that should be irrelevant to you. Here are the three reasons, data driven, why this our product is better for your patients and you. Bing, 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 and then get out of it. And then say, is there anything else I can answer for you? Salespeople make a mistake of talking to, especially to doctors. Make sense? I am. I'm very guilty of that. I want to uh, tell them how much I know, you know, sometimes. And I, I know I do it and I try not to, but that's great advice. Thank you. Crisp. Crisp is the number one word, especially with doctors. They don't have, they don't have time. The, they are smarter than you. Yeah. And, you know, and they will get it really fast if you give them the essential data. You know, if you're going long-winded, it means you're not smart enough to be concise. You don't know how to really whittle it down to what's the essence. You've got to, even if you have to script it in advance, say the three big, you know, I know you're busy, Dr. Jones, but there's, there, this thing is going to benefit you and your patients for these three reasons, and I'll get out of your hair. Bing, bing, bing. Any questions? I'm out of here. And yeah, if you need to close them, I close them once. You want a trial order? We can, we can, uh, I'd be happy to give you a trial, a trial, whatever. But bing, quick, crisp. Awesome. Thank you. Yep. 
Awesome. Anybody else have a scenario they want to run by the pimp, Dr. Marty? (laughs) I have one for you then. So I struggle with when I'm working with my realtor and they tell me straight up, straight up front, Hey, this is the lowest he'll go, or this is the lowest she'll go. That's all bullshit. I don't, I don't, I don't trust those words. I don't buy it either. But for some reason, maybe it's, I trust too much. Uh, I'm like, okay, well then what will they accept? Okay. And then this magic number just dramatically appears. I don't immediately jump to that right away. Yeah. It depends if I, you know, first of all, I've done my homework. Right. I've, I really looked at the comps and adjusted the comps appropriately. And if they're, let's say that, you know, and I've done my fair market value and I believe that if I got a good deal, it would be 500,000. If I got an okay deal, it would be 520. And if it was more than that, you know, I, there's other deals. And they, and they say 575 is the lowest, you know, is the lowest they'll go. I'll say, you know, we're just too far apart. Thanks very much. Yeah. So notice the tone. I'm not a laid back guy, but I want to sound for it at that point. I'm sorry. We're, that's just too far apart. I guess, you know, you'll find another seller perhaps or, or not. Um, if you're, if your uh, client is interested in a 500 offer, uh, let me, yeah. and I would and hang up. Yeah. You got to stick to the numbers, right? You know, it's something we talk about all the time, but you got to find the number that works for you. And, and if it doesn't work, go on to find the next deal, right? Or sometimes, you know, sometimes if it's, I mean, if it's an enormous difference, all this small stuff's not going to matter. But let's say you're in a bad cash flow situation, you know, your, your credit sucks. And so you would love owner carry and, you know, you're willing to pay a little bit more for owner carry at a, you know, at a 3% rate, you know, uh, for 10 years. Um, you might be willing to pay more, you know, so you don't always walk away. I'm not saying you do, but generally if it's too big a gap, all that stuff's not going to matter that much. But if it's like 30,000 gap or something like that, then you can talk about, okay, the furniture. Okay. You can talk about the roof. Okay. You can talk about the washer dryers. Okay. You can talk about owner carry, or you can talk about lower down. You know, you can talk about stuff once you're in a, you know, in a, in a doable ballpark. But if they're, if they're screwing you and they're just giving you some super elevated price, the way, the best thing you could probably do is walk because they're yeah. probably, if they're doing that for starters, they're probably going to screw you every step of the way. Yeah. You know, if you're under contract, they're going to find some other reason to raise the price. They're going to, they're going to accuse you of this or that. You don't need that. Nip it in the bud as soon as you can. Right. I think so. Um, Somebody. Okay. I thought I heard something else. Sorry. I I clicked off my screen to look back at my notes. So, and I heard something, but I thought, anyway, we'll skip past that part. Um, One of the things that we do in the W2 Capitalist Mastermind is we set uh, goals, right? There's one three-year, five-year visions. And then there's 12-week goals that we try to accomplish. What are some of the uh, psychological powers of being able to do that, seeing your goals and being held accountable for those goals and try to strive toward them? Yeah, the majority of, of self-improvement experts talk about the value of goals. They're concrete. You can meet them. Every every sales manager gives their, their person a quota, even if it's pulled out of their ass as just a you know, right. some number. Because uh, some people tend to we want to meet want to meet our goals, and if it's concrete, we can something we can you know we can have a little you know our little milestones. We did this yeah. today. Did a little party for ourselves, right? <laughs> right. Yes, exactly. So um, for most people, that works. I have I like to present different views. So for whatever it is, yep. I tend to not have goals at all. What I tend to do is I tend to do the best damn job of everything I can do in that moment. So right now, I've got a million things in my life going on. Great things, wonderful, but, but a lot. But right now, I don't give a shit about any of them. All I give a shit about is you guys. All I'm doing is focused. And I know when I need to prepare, when I don't, I don't need to prepare for this. I know I could do this. But I am, I don't have any goal. I just, I try to fill my life with as many good things as possible where I can do as much good as I can. And then, and I decide, okay, 
what do I need to do to prepare? Nothing good. That way, between two and three, I've been working on my taxes as it happened, right? I'm very aware of time. I make the most of every minute. I don't set any big goals. You know, certainly if I'm writing a book, I don't set a date for when my book's going to, I've written 12 books. I don't set a date for when it's going to be done. I'm just, every spare minute, I'm writing the book. And if it's done in four months, great. If it takes a year, great. I, I don't believe in arbitrary deadlines because goals are often where you, you can't predict the weather tomorrow. How the right. fuck are we going to predict <laughs> a year from now we're going to, uh, we're going to meet this goal? So yeah. most people disagree with me, but I don't have goals. I just, and and that does, no, I, I appreciate the, uh, the, um, the viewpoint, right? Because we at W Capitalist, it, we're, we're on the opposite end of that, right? Is we, have, we get very specific about our goals. I personally struggle with um, if I have free time that's not time blocked to do a specific task, I'm going to be goofing off on my phone or, you know, watching TV that I shouldn't be, you know, just watching something on Netflix when I should be doing something productive. Right. So I struggle with that uh, tremendously, but it's great to hear another side of the story. I, I've never heard somebody, especially somebody with a PhD behind them say, I don't have goals. I just I want, do. I want to explain right. that when you, if, when you have discretionary time, you choose to go watch TV or argue with your wife about whether Clemson or Bama has got a better football team. <laughs> Um, <laughs> this year was Clemson, right? <laughs> yeah. Of course. Um, yeah. <laughs> but the problem is that you're treating the symptom when you create goals. Mm. The real way to get to the source of the problem is to recognize, and this is going to again sound holier than now, it's going to recognize that the life well led is about contribution and productivity. If you're sitting and playing a video game, if you're just eating and having a long leisurely dinner, you aren't accomplishing squat. So if you're been if you're too tend to fool around too much, the answer is not to artificial create these artificial constraints like goals and rewards and punishment. It's to say to yourself, I need to have a better sense of values about what the meaningful life is. And if the meaningful life is finding great property that's undervalued and making it wonderful so that the subsequent tenants are going to be happy and be grateful in the home, then you say, of course I'm going to do that. I would never be tempted to play a video game because it's, it's, it's a far greater value for me to, to work on that property. Yeah. Even if you don't have any goal, you don't say, I'm going to get this, this, the house is going to be already done in six months. No, you find yourself with an extra half hour and say, oh, okay, I need to see, where can I get really good remnants cheap for those, for those carpets? Ooh, you know, I keep looking at this. How can I add more space? Oh, maybe if I cut a hole in the floor of the living room and, and put a spiral staircase down and, and then made that into a family room. You know, it's realizing that the most valuable thing you can ever do with your time is yeah. being productive. And for me, I have to schedule that out. Otherwise, I, I get so scatterbrained. You know, I've never been diagnosed with ADD. I guess it's because I never really complained about it when I went to the doc. But it's just been so like if I, I have that shiny object syndrome where if I don't have my and I don't know where it is, but it's it's a cheat sheet that I use every day. Hey, I want to get this, this and this done. If I don't have that in front of me, I, I typically don't get a whole lot done. Uh, I don't know what that says about me. I think you have you gave me some insight, there, <laughs> but it does it. You know, it does help me stay on pace. If that makes sense. I will say this, you know, I do on my desk, I have two, I, uh, obviously I have a smartphone, but I don't use, I don't use Google Calendar. I don't use any of that. What I do use, which keeps me on track with the things I have to, is I have a an old fashioned pencil and paper, week at a glance calendar. There's my this week. You can see what my life is like um, for the things that are scheduled, like my clients throughout the week. 
And then there are things that don't have a specific time associated with it, but that day I want to get done. So I simply have a little memo cube and I simply write down those and I keep that right on my desk. So, and that you never run out of battery. You, <laughs> you're keeping it right in front of you. And I'm always laughing at my, laughing to myself when my clients and I are scheduling the next appointment, it takes them forever to get the, uh, their iPhone to the right page on the calendar. Or whatever. I got it written in one second. I think in a minute. So right. I love my system. And it keeps me from getting, for getting stuff. There you go. Right. Terry's got hers too, right? <laughs> right. So. Well, so we're coming up on time. Um, I've got one last question. And I want to make sure everybody else, if they have any follow-ups. But one of the things that we want to do is practice negotiating. What are some of the drills that we can do um, that will help us in negotiating scenarios? And this is, could be for your W-2 job or for real estate. Uh, but let's stick with real estate just for the sake of time. What are some of the drills that we can do as a group, you know, in a virtual setting like this that will help everybody? Hard to say. I do know for sure that in the end, negotiation really, especially in something like real estate, depends tremendously on your on your doing your homework. Mm. It really is knowing what is the the value of the property, what are the, what's the best deal you can get on the pest on that pest control report instead of buying the you know the, the seller's got some jacked up you know uh, uh, report. You know, doing the homework on that, doing the homework and finding out, you know, there are websites that list, for example, the lowest mortgage rates and really checking out. So if the owner is going to sell him, but he wants to charge you 4.5% for uh, 10 years and you can show him comparables that there really are lenders that will do for 3.75% with no closing costs, you know, doing your homework, you know, there's no substitute for that. Knowledge is power. Yeah. Do you have any, um, you have any pointers on negotiating with banks? Because banks to me is the bank is a four letter word to me. I just don't, I don't like them. <laughs> Again, I think, you know, because we, there are so many lenders. Yeah. For me, I probably would, you know, if I am, I'm always aware of time, but it is a good use of my time to check with a mortgage broker who is legendary for doing a great job and a couple of originator banks that are known for doing home loans, for example, a multifamily loan. Um, you know, you contact them. You make the best case you can. You say, "What's the best deal you can give me on a you know fixed rate, uh, you know, uh, the ten year balloon or whatever the hell you want, you know, or a, an arm that's you know whatever it is. What are the best deals you can give me?" And then you you go to the one or two mortgage, maybe one mortgage broker that you know is great, and then one or two banks. And now you've you basically, and then I let it go. I've done a reasonable amount of comparison shopping, but I haven't gone crazy with it. And that's about as good as I'm making. And I might, I just might. Let's say. My old buddy is over there at, 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 at First Tuscaloosa, and, uh, uh, and he said, yeah, I think I can get you 4.45 with a point and a half. And, uh, <laughs> and, and you go and you I find out. I love your accent, by the way. <laughs> it sucks, right? It really is terrible, right? It's, it's, a, it's a New York Jew's attempt at a Southern accent. It's like, I can barely eat cornbread. What the hell do I know? Anyway, so... Um, you know, and then I go and I go to the mortgage broker, and the mortgage broker can get me three point nine with no closing costs. And and in my very southern way, I'd say, uh, Joe, I, I really appreciate your offer at four point four five, but I, I just happen to have come across a a, a deal with uh, First Provincial of uh, of Tuscarora, um, and they, they're able to give me this deal. And I'd love to do business with you, but you know, I, I just can't see my way to pay more. Is there any way you can beat that deal? If, if not, I'm going to have to say goodbye on this one. Maybe next time. What do you think, sir? And you know, and then see. So I've gone back to him one time, and uh, but I've been a good, I've been a nice Southern person. You know, I haven't been my tough New York Jew guy self. 
Um, and then, then I, I live with what that's about as good as I'm going to get. Okay. I'm not going to spend time going to 10 lenders. That's not a good yeah. use of my time. One or two banks that I know are good for this kind of law, this kind of property, one great mortgage broker and I'm done. Or if not the seller, sometimes I can get a better deal from seller. Yeah. Yeah. No prepayment penalty. If I think I might, it depends. Sometimes you don't care about a prepayment penalty because you're planning on holding the property forever. But if you're saying, you know, shit, I want to turn this. Right. And you want to get a great deal. Then, then clearly a prepayment penalty, no prepayment penalty is going to be in your interest. Yeah. Okay. Annette, you have your hand raised. Okay. Can you hear me? I can. Okay. So I think, Oh, sorry. I'm just situating again. Um, one of the things is like sometimes we forget to ask. Like we just, they, we ask, we go to the bank and we uh, engage with mortgage brokers and they give us their rate and we don't ask for any discounts. Like we don't, you know, like I am, I guess I, I am Latin. I am used to uh, negotiating everywhere right. in Peru. Right. So you just go to the market and you negotiate for potatoes and tomatoes. It's and fun. then you go to a store, you go to the bazaar, you're always asking for a discount. Always. Exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> so I am used to it. So um, my husband is always like, you you ask, you go, you tell them. <laughs> so, you know, the, on the last deal um, that I was working on, I, you know, I asked the, the, the banker, you know, is there, is there any better rate that, that you can give me? You know, I... Actually, I, I asked first to the guy that I used to work. His rate was really high compared to a new uh, company that I uh, ended up using and closing. And I asked him, can you do any better? And he did give me a lower rate, but it wasn't as good as the, as the new one that I got. So I ended up going with the, the new person. But at least, you know, he gave me a reduction. It, it might have been better than the new one that I was looking at and I would have stayed Malo. with him. Hay un mejor, hay un método mejor. Because if, if you say, can you do better? The answer, it, it almost begs him to say, no, that's my best deal. But if you right, say- Well, I didn't like that. I did say like, you know, I really like working with you and, you know, we've closed on two other deals, uh, but I am getting a better rate by another person, okay. by a, a new banker. So, and I think it's something like, uh, I guess I did say, can you do any better? <laughs> uh, me, I don't know exactly what I'm going to say, but if I were doing it, I would say, I would start out as you did it. I enjoyed working with you on the last two deals. I think you see I'm a good customer. Uh, I pay back the loans, but I have gotten a significantly better deal. So uh, I was about to take it, but I, in, in honor of our previous relationship, uh, I wanted to give you one last shot. What is the very low, the best deal in terms of rate, prepayment, and points that you can give me? And I'll, I'll either say yes or no. Okay. Oh, can you hear me? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'll, I'll do that. But but in general, like we just sometimes are used to getting what they tell us and not, you know, negotiating. And, you know, then after that, you know, I, I ended up for a second deal that I'm working. Um, I got the rate from the bank and it, it was high. So then I found another bank that was willing to do for a lot less, which I was approved today. So I'm very excited. And, but I had to have a plan B in case this bank wouldn't work. So, you know, I also negotiated the rate with a private lender that he started with like, you know, nine, I think. And then we ended up with 7.8. So it's always, always good to, Ugh. well, it's a private lender. It was the plan B for the 5.25 that I was getting with the bank. If that didn't work. You know, so, I, you know, maybe I'm wrong and I'm not in this field at all, but I hear that the, uh, I was watching CNBC today and they said that the, uh, the average mortgage lending rate is 4.25. Now I recognize the commercial property is going to be somewhat higher, but 
I'm thinking, I always think in terms of what must it cost the bank? What is their cost of money? They're probably paying 1% for that money and maybe two. And I don't want to give them five, six, seven, fuck them. I'm going to probably, before I am willing to give in, I'm going to go and I will speak to a mortgage broker and I will do the, the, the on, there are great online tools that list the lowage mortgage rates by region. I always, whether I'm buying lumber or I'm buying uh, roofing or I'm buying labor services or I'm buying a mortgage, I'm thinking of what must that be the rock bottom price? And I want to get as close to that as I can ethically can. I, seven point, you saw I made a face, 7.25%. Screw you. I'm not going to do that. That's going to cost me a fortune. And their cost of money is way below that. That's where I would get tougher. I would, you know, in a nice way, but I would keep looking until I found somebody who was in my ballpark. I believe I may be wrong, but I think bankrate.com lists the, the nation's mortgage rates. I may be wrong. That, that could be just CD rates and stuff, but um, there definitely are websites that, that list all the mortgage rates. You want to be able to compare broadly and start with the low cost ones who have good, you know, some are sleaze bags and then they use that as a, some low rate as a come on. And then when you get there, they jack you up. Oh, that's only for the super prime rate if you have an 840 credit score, but yours is only 760. So, you know, so some of them could bullshit you. Um, but start by finding the, the, the highly rated lenders that have uh, low rates. Yeah, no, th- definitely. Yeah, it's true. Like those websites, they, uh, I've done it actually, bank rate, and they start with like four point something. And then once you put, it's a duplex or a six unit, oh, it goes up. And then it's, you know, a rental property goes up. And it, I'm not, it's not my primary home and then it goes up. So you end up with kind of the same rates. But but yeah, this this particular plan was a private lender. So it's a lot more expensive than a bank. And that's because if we were to use that, we didn't have time to... Um, to engage with another bank because of the, the closing time. You had to close right away. But luckily, I don't have to use that option. I would much sooner negotiate to try to get that closing extended because that's going to kill, kill me. 7.25%, unless it's just for a year. If it's a bridge loan, I don't care that much. Yeah, yeah, it was a short-term loan. It okay. was not. It was that's, six months. Oh, oh, that's nothing. Then I don't care. But if it's a mortgage, I'm keeping. if I need to keep place five years, it's going to kill me. I'm not going to, you know, then I'm gonna, it's worth my time. You're getting attacked in that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I mean, it's it's good advice, but I did, um, you know, I did do some of, you know, of the, the same things. I did go on the websites. I looked all over the place, but that was my plan in case the bank didn't go. And we had already extended the the contract twice, so I I couldn't extend it anymore. I understand. Fair enough. Again, yeah. once you said it was six months, I, I you know, again, bridge loans are going to be more expensive because it takes them as much paperwork to do a six month loan as a thirty year loan. So that's going to be a different story. And I, you know, I'm talking about when you're expecting to hold along for five, ten, ten years. I agree. Um, Dr. Marty, we have one question from some attendees in the, in the, um, uh, chat is how do you basically just says, how do you request a raise at your W2 job when you don't have an external job offer? Great. Well, the, the key again is preparation. You would, you should normally do in the six months before you're expecting to ask for a raise when let's say, you know, your performance review is going to be March starting in say September, maybe even ongoing. You just keep a little word file of all your wins. Everything you've done well, everywhere you've either made the company or nonprofit money, or you streamlined a process, or you improved esprit de corps by hosting the great Christmas party, or whatever the hell it was, and you have a list of those, which you then send to your boss in anticipation of the salary and salary negotiation. And in addition, you project forward. You say, 
as you can see, I've done all these great things and moving forward, I hope to be able to do this, this, and this. And therefore, it seems to me that it's worth, uh, you know, a 20% raise. Uh, and again, you always want to ask for the high side of fair, not outrageous. You don't want to be a pig, but on the high side of fair so that there's a little room to go down. And it's a big mistake to focus on cash because, as I said earlier, you lose half of it in taxes because you're, you're the top, the extra 10% of the top is taxed at your top rate which typically when you add federal federal income, state income tax, maybe local income, FICA, Medicare, everything, you're losing half. So right. And the company gets nothing in exchange. So I rather very often will encourage my clients to negotiate for non-cash items like telecommuting. If you live in a major metro where the traffic sucks, being able to work at home is worth a fortune and not just money, but stress and time. Um, James, I might, you know anything about that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I might negotiate for training budget. I might, you know, uh, that I want to, I want you to pay for my trip to the conference in Hawaii, you know? Uh, and again, that way it's not taxable. You're not paying any tax on that and you're getting to grow and learn and getting to go to Hawaii on their dime. You know, those, but not stock options, unless, unless it's a really public company already, stock options are usually worth nothing. You may think right, about it, it's right. going to be worth zillions, but usually it's not. So that's a little short course in negotiating for salary. Some great, great points there. And two, I'll, I'll link back to that article I mentioned earlier about compensation negotiation for employees that you published in um, Psychology Today when, when I post this video. So Annette, you got your hand raised. Is that you having something else or did, is that from earlier? Yeah, no, I'm sorry. I keep asking questions. But oh. um, following up on that question about the, uh, the raise, um, I have a hard time getting trying to get a raise because I work part-time in my W-2. Um, and they feel like if I don't come full-time, I shouldn't get a like, like I, I guess my, my work is not uh, worth a raise. So I actually have a, a raise uh, a year ago because I had a second, another offer and they wanted to keep me. So, and I didn't really want to move because it's just too much work. <laughs> but I used it for negotiating a raise. Uh, but now, like every time that if I mention... Uh, a raise or money is like, oh, when are you coming back full time? And I, it's not my intent to come full time. <laughs> it's not, not a legitimate argument. You know, half time people could still be worth more or less than they're currently making. And, you know, if your boss is just being arbitrary, you can say, you, you might, I mean, here's all role play. This is how I might word it. Uh, what's your boss's first name, by the way? Bill. <laughs> Bill. Bill Guglielmo. Um, <laughs> Bill. Um, I, you've said, and I would do this, I would time it. Wait, does he ever say something nice to you about your work ever? Yeah. Okay, good. So right after he said something nice to you, Bill, thank you very much for those kind words. I appreciate it. Um, I know in the past you said that uh, uh, because I'm half time, you don't feel I'm entitled to a raise, but I, and I, it, it's a little difficult for me to, to understand that. You know, obviously I'm making, I'm working half time. I'm not going to get the same as a full-time person, but different half-time people are worth more and worth less. And it seems to me in light of my having done this and this and this, and you're praising me for that, that relative to my worth, relative to what I'm contributing to the company, it would seem like instead of 45,000 a year, like 55 or 60 would seem closer to fair. Does that make sense to you, Bill? And that, that phrase, that, you know, that acknowledges that you've heard his previous argument, but you still think it's bullshit by saying it in a nice, but, but saying it in a nice way. Yeah, that's, you know, when, and it, this is not directly coming from the boss, but from my supervisor that tells me, uh, they are asking me if you're coming time again and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so I said like, but, you know, so when I'm here, I just have work. I mean, I'm still working. When I'm here, I'm working and I am producing and I'm, you know, 
so anyways, yeah, so that's that's a great way to, to put it out when I get ready to ask for a raise. I mean, we get a raise every year, but it's just Carmen. nothing. Yeah. yeah. And if your own, you know, let's say your own boss is wimpy, your supervisor is wimpy about it. Um, then you could say, would you mind, you know, I know you've done your best, but sometimes I do my best when I'm negotiating for myself. Would you mind if I talk to, to your boss about it? They may say no, you know, in certain companies, you really have to follow the rules. But sometimes <laughs> a negotiating group, um, with your boss's permission, you may do better negotiating. So it's the same way as getting around the realtor if, uh, if it's legally allowable to. <laughs> <laughs> Thank She's you. Not She's not smiling. <laughs> oh, man. Well, Jennifer says, what about negotiating with family and kids? Jennifer, uh, and this... Marty, if you, well, I know we're up on time. We're, we're well over an hour. Um, is it okay if we fill this last question and then wrap it up? Yep. Okay. Jennifer, you want to expand on that? What are you, uh, what are you negotiating with your family and kids on? Well, that was one of the, the points in uh, the book that we're reading. You know, he says these negotiating tactics will work with everybody from getting your two-year-old, you know, to bed on time to getting your great uncle Joe to understand, you know, that everybody just loves him and cares about him instead of being grumpy all the time. And, um, I think when you add that extra layer of not only history, but the emotional ties you have with these people, I don't quite understand how the same techniques for a hostage situation where somebody could die goes with Uncle Joe, who doesn't like my cornbread stuffing. So if you have any insight into that. So uh, let's, we need to be very specific. What is it you'd like to change about Uncle Joe? Well, the two groups that stand out most to me where the, I guess the negotiating would come into play would be the very young and very old. So um, one of the comments being made was, uh, you know, when you have a grumpy older family member, it's not that everybody's bothering him or that life is just so horrible. The deeper underlying meaning is he may be depressed, he may feel not so needed or, you know, so... Um, and if it's somebody you don't see very often, you know, you can't go to his house for Thanksgiving dinner and then just start pulling apart his emotional triggers, right. you know, so keeping the peace, but also keeping his best interest in mind because you want to keep those ties. Right. So probably what I would do is before Thanksgiving, I would make a call. Is he local or is he far away? Far away. So I pray. And does he do Skype or, you know, Zoom? Absolutely or, not. Okay. Phone? Maybe. He'll follow yeah. FaceTime? Does he do FaceTime? No way. Anything technology outside of a rotary dial is beyond him. <laughs> That's funny. Rotary <laughs> dial. Okay. Uh, and is his name Joe? No. You want to tell me his first name or no? No, I was thinking of my mother, actually. But the guy in the scenario <laughs> in the book, he actually used, you know, an uncle that they went to Thanksgiving. All right. So, so this is pretend your mom. And is this the issue? Is this, are we talking about your mom here in Thanksgiving? What are you talking about? I want to no, get this. this is for real. Anytime anybody came to see, she lived here locally in Pensacola. But when we'd have family come, you know, from out of town, they usually came from pretty far distances. So they come with these ideas. Oh, she's going to be so excited. We're going to have a great time. And she's looking at them like, why'd you swarm in my house? And why are you here? And, you know, just general unpleasantness, which I didn't experience. But then again, I was right down the street. So I was just curious for for those folks who don't have that you know day-to-day connection who still are interested in their well-being um i hate saying negotiating but you know that's essentially what it is what would you do i don't know you know no guarantees but if i if it was my mom and she was a pill and we were coming there for thanksgiving um I'd, I'd, I wouldn't just start jumping right. I would talk about things she likes. Let's say she likes making that cornbread stuffing. Yeah. Um, so I'd talk, Mom, I'm really looking forward to Thanksgiving. I, 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 my mouth's already watering for that cornbread stuffing. Um, 
uh, how you feeling about the, where you're going to have 12 people in you. I want to show that I can empathize. You're going to have 12 people invading your house. <laughs> how are you feeling about that? So best thing for those senior folks would be communicate more, hear what's going on with them and how they're. A little bit to start out with. I'm saying, let's say I'm, so I'm having this conversation and we're laughing a little bit. And at that moment when I've, I've established the right rapport, then I'll say, you know, um, uh, I know you try really hard to be a welcoming, warm, you know, host. Um, that's got to be pretty hard to do. You know, I know it's difficult. You're kind of a loner and you like your privacy. And uh, <laughs> how, you know, how are you, how are you going to manage to pull that together? We got all those people coming up. So I'm not lecturing her. I'm asking her questions to try. Oh, well, I'm going to try to do that. It may not work perfectly, but by having the conversation without lecturing her, okay. she's more likely to on her own be on her best behavior. Is she going to be perfect? Absolutely not. But are you going to make it incrementally better without a personality transplant? That's a reasonable chance. Okay. Thank you. Yep. I love that. I think that's a great way to end. There's so much other that I didn't get to, but I think that was uh, that was great. Thank you, Jennifer, for asking that question. And of course, Dr. Marty the Pimp for uh, that insight. That's awesome. I think we all have those family members. Um, so I'll, I will, I'll be using that pretty soon. <laughs> um, all right, guys, that's it. Dr. Marty, thank you so much for your time. Uh, if anybody wants to follow up with Dr. Marty, uh, his website is Marty Nimco's N E M K O.com. And his email address is M Nimco at Comcast.net.com. Uh, Comcast.net. And there, there is a big, nice long chapter on negotiation careers for dummies. Yes. Yes. And also thank you for that reminder. I'll post the link to your site. Um, also to your email and also a link to uh, careers for dummies that what it's out available now. Um, you can get it on Amazon. I know that's where I found it. So, um, Dr. Marty, thank you again. And hopefully we can do this again soon. All right. You take care guys. Bye. See you buddy.